Hello, I want to give a trigger warning on today's episode. The following conversation covers topics of sexual abuse. If you know someone or are experiencing sexual abuse or assault, please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. That is 1-800-656-4673. And if you're in the mental space, I highly encourage you to listen to today's empowering conversation. Welcome to Ellas, a bi-weekly podcast made by Latinas for Latinas. I talk with talented, inspiring, and empowering women that are living their dreams and making a path for the next generation. I'm Brenda hernandez Jaimes, and this is Ellas. Welcome back to AS. I'm your host, Brenda hernandez Jaimes, and I'm so happy that you're joining me for another episode. For episode 42, I have the honor of introducing today's guest, Christine Rodriguez. Christine is a survivor, entrepreneur, and advocate for women and girls globally. She founded her company, Girl Collective, after a publicized trial in which she's testified against her abuser and stepfather of 15 years. Her abuser was sentenced to life in prison for his crimes against her and two other girls. Post-trial, she found herself struggling with mental health while working full-time at a marketing agency in L.A. While trying to figure out what to do to help herself, she founded an organization online called the Sampali Trust that had a program to educate girls on sexual abuse. She decided to quit her job to go and volunteer with this organization in India for 40 days. She had never been out of the country alone, and this was her first trip to India. As you can imagine, the trip was a bit of cultural shock and a life-changing experience in more ways than one. While in India, she wrote a blog on Medium and did so well, she became a top culture and travel writer on the platform. Before leaving for India, Christine was making and selling jewelry to raise money for her trip. In her last few days there, she decided to start Girl Collective after realizing how great the need was and knowing she could not just forget about these girls as she returned home. Girl Collective officially launched in October 2017. Since then, Girl Collective has launched four collections, led two girl trips back to India, and done several photo shoots and campaigns to highlight and elevate women of color. Girl Collective has been supported by advocates of the Latinx community, such as Yasi Ortiz, Cristel Alonso, Les Hernandez, and Patti Rodriguez. Christine's goal for 2020 are to keep her brand sustainable, eco-friendly, and fair trade to take the fourth annual girl trip to India with even more volunteers than last year, to make enough funds to support 10 girls and their education, and to inspire others to turn their darkness into light. Please welcome Kristen Rodriguez. Hola! Hola! Thank you so much. That was a bad, I'm like tearing up over here. <laughs> that was the most thorough introduction and I appreciate it so much well thank you <laughs> I mean just I, I, I like to say this because I love to begin with my guest um triumphs and story because we tend to forget what we lived through what we accomplished because we're so into the work and our passions that we just kind of forget so it's it's good yeah. to remind you how yeah such a badass you are so thank you you know thank you for being yes. for doing the work <laughs> of course that was yeah wonder it is it definitely is you tend to forget and I think you know with how busy I've been lately it's been you know there's been such big milestones that have been happening and I feel like I've been so busy that that I 
kind of forget and haven't been stopping to celebrate them and you introducing me in that way and thinking of like how far this has all come is just very humbling and exciting and I feel happy and blessed. (laughs) Well, I'm happy and blessed that you are here, you know, really open to sharing your journey and your story of you and Girl Collective. But before we even begin that, I want to ask you, you know, after hearing all those accomplishments in that amazing journey and like life-changing for you, can you tell us who is Christine? Like who behind that veil of success and like amazingness, who, who are you? Who is Christine? Wow, that's a deep question. <laughs> um, I would say that I used to always think growing up that being, I'm very much an empath and I always felt like that was a weakness. And what I've come to realize through Girl Collective and through building this entire business based truly on passion and giving back and having empathy for others, um, it really is my superpower. And so I definitely encourage people out there who feel like, God, I'm so sensitive all the time. Or like, I have all these feelings or, you know, I can't just see something and not do anything about it. And sometimes that can be frustrating because you also, you know, become the person who wants to save the world. And I definitely am that person. Um, But what I've had to realize is like, I can focus on certain passions and also care a little bit about everything and it's okay because that's who I am. Um, And it allowed me to build this entire business when I used to think I used to work in the music industry. And when I worked in music, um, I was always told like, you know, you have to have a tough skin. You have to look and act a certain way so that people take you seriously. And um, you know, they would literally say things like you have to be a bitch to get what you need to get done. And I just never felt like that truly resonated with who I was. And so I definitely feel like I'm an empath. I am, I am the, the friend who will drop everything when you need something. Um, I am also a wife. I'm a sister. Um, I'm a daughter, a granddaughter. And I am a girl who gives an F, which is the tagline for Girl Collective. <laughs> Amazing. And I'm just really curious, you know, when did you realize that you said being an empath was like weakness? And when was that moment that you realized that? And when was that moment where you were confronted and just felt like you were betraying your essence, who you really are? Because I personally believe we definitely need more empaths in this world. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like in music, I definitely was trying to conform because I I did truly believe like, okay, this is what you have to do in order to get things done. And I felt myself, you know, my boss at the time was literally like, if you've seen the movie, The Devil Wears Prada, Mm -hmm. that was how my boss was. And so I felt like she was kind of training me to be this person that I didn't want to be, but I was giving into it because I thought I had to be to keep this really, you know, it's always like working in music, this amazing, cool job, and everybody wants this job, so you should be so grateful to be here. You know, we could have totally picked somebody else, and so it was always that, like, oh, I need to be grateful to be here, so I need to do everything that I can to keep this job and continue moving up, and when I felt like I was becoming somebody that was not myself, and I did feel like you know, I was being bitchy to people and I was like, what is wrong? Like, why am I acting this way? You know, why am I 
not present in my personal life. Like I didn't feel present at home. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel fully present with my family or my partner because I constantly had to be on my phone waiting for my boss to call me about God knows what, even on weekends when we were, you know, when it got to the point of the fact that it was interrupting birthdays and like milestones in my personal life with my family. Like I remember once for my grandma's birthday, that was probably the tip of the iceberg for me was that like, I couldn't just sit down and have dinner with my family without worrying about my boss and worrying about what fire I had to put out. And so to keep myself occupied, I felt like I was pushing everybody away to just be like, let me just be in my own little bubble so that I can do this job and do it right. And then later on, I'll pay attention to everything else. But the everything else was my life. And so I was so focused on her life and her needs and what she needed me to be that I was not being myself. And mm-hmm. so that felt like the time where I was like, okay, this is wrong because I'm, I do care so much about people and I, it does hurt my feelings when I feel like people don't think, you know, think a certain way about me or whatever. And, and once I started to dive into like what an empath is and how it feels to be an empath, I started to realize like, oh, I've always been like this. Like I've always picked up on people's energies and the mood of the room and like what it feels like when you walk into a space. And, um, and so going to India, like when I picked up on all of that, granted it was very overwhelming to be, you know, India is just, it's, there's sounds and sights and smells and there's so much going on that you're as an empathetic person or even not an empathetic person, you're taking so much in Mm -hmm. at the same time. And so I realized in India when I could like feel that even though we didn't speak the same language, even though me and some of these girls could hardly communicate, it was such like a feeling thing. And I realized, oh, this is like a superpower because if I didn't have this part of me, I wouldn't be able to understand them because we don't speak the same language. And instead, because of our feelings and our emotions, I felt able to understand them even without words you know yeah and ultimately you embrace that superpower that you have oh that's that's beautiful yeah (laughs) it really you know hearing this it makes me you know think so I imagine music was your first passion right yeah Mm -hmm. you know being so excited hopeful to take on that path and seeing that you're succeeding and being constantly told you have to be grateful that you're, you know, you're lucky, you're fortunate to be here. So you had to like keep up with all these lies to stay in this industry. So it must have felt very disempowering and just discouragement, right? That you yeah. know, saying that everything that you hopeful was falling. Yeah. Well, you envisioned wasn't what you had thought earlier in life. Yeah, I think I felt, you know, there were moments of greatness and there were moments of joy and there were, you know, little moments where I was like, oh, this is so awesome. Like, they're right. People would kill to be in this position, you know. Um, But it did feel discouraging only because I think who your boss is and who your mentor is when you have, when you're breaking into an industry, when you're doing anything is so important and because mine did not want to mentor me she did not want my input she did not want anything else from me except for me to wait on her hand and foot um when it came to getting her juices and making sure that you know she had to do as little as possible when it came to her own life 
that was what was discouraging because I have other friends who have had amazing bosses. You know, mm-hmm. their first boss was amazing and took them into meetings and had them join all this stuff. And their experience was completely different than mine because mm-hmm. I had a nightmare of a boss, you know? And so I think like in any job that you're in to have somebody who cares about you and who mentors you um, and who actually wants to see you succeed is such like, that's laying the path for you to have a good experience on that path, you know, mm-hmm. versus if it's, if it's crazy from the get go and that person does not want to see you succeed, they'd rather you be their assistant forever so that they don't have to find another one. That's a whole different story, you know? And mm-hmm. so I, I feel like now, you know, obviously everything happened for a reason. Um, I used to question it a lot in the beginning before I started Girl Collective, like, God, I went, you know, I had this job, had a terrible boss, then I had this job and I thought this boss was great and then things ended terrible. And so that was actually terrible too. Then I switched industries and then I had another terrible boss and I was like, what is going on? Like, why are all these people just like really kind of, you know, terrible? And um, then I realized like, I took what I needed from each of these jobs to learn in order to get to Girl Collective. And if it weren't for all of them and the way that they behaved or things that they taught me, um, I wouldn't be able to do all the things that I'm doing today. So I really do believe that every single step as, you know, as daunting or as discouraging or as sad or, you know, frustrating as it may have been at the time, I realized how much more it like built me up to be, you know, the CEO and entrepreneur that I am now. Yes, that's, I'm totally in agreement with him at that. You know, I've also had a life where I was faced with a lot of obstacles and I truly believe that those challenges that we face, they may be dark, but those are lessons and they teach us how to even be better yeah. in the future. And I think those experiences with your bosses really taught you during your trip in India, just being fully empathetic and just be there for the girls and as well for yeah. Girl Collective. You know, even though it's just two years into the business, but you're slowly, the goal is to start growing your team. So you're not going to, you know, make the same mistakes that your previous bosses did. You're going to be so much better than that. So you're, it's so true. Because it's Thank all a lesson know. learned. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, exactly. Like even the last job that I had, I was, I was a boss of 50 employees. And from all of the things that I learned from them, I was like, okay, this is how you, you, one of my bosses, he was really great in the beginning. And so I learned a lot of great attributes from him. And so I took those things and was like, okay, this is how you lead a team. Like, this is how you be a good boss. And part of being a good boss is being empathetic, you know, being able to put yourself in their shoes and think, okay, this is how much money they're making per hour. How do I make this worth it? Like, how do I... I make them want to come to work every day and not just be doing this because they have to, you know? And, um, I did like get a lot of good feedback at that job with all of my employees and several of them have contacted me. Like now as it's been some time past, like for recommendations to write them for their next jobs. And, and, you know, when I was leaving, a lot of them were like, you were the best boss I've ever had. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so great to hear because coming from having terrible bosses, I never, ever want to be that person you know so mm-hmm. as I can as I start to build the girl collective team that is always something that I have in my mind of like how do you be the best boss how do you empower people mm-hmm. how do you how do you let people be creative and like 
let them do what makes them happy because when you let employees do what makes them happy, they're going to do the best for you exactly. instead of forcing them to do things that they probably hate, you know? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So true. So true. Yes. A lot of these <laughs> things are coming to my mind and it's so true. You have to let them just be happy at what they do and greatness will come out of that, you know, instead yep. of forcing it. So it's very interesting that you said earlier that, you know, you were in the music industry, you switched industries, and then suddenly at 27, you were like, for I maybe not all of our listeners, I know a little bit of backstory, but you decided to quit your job and yeah. your mental health was not at its best and you decided to go to India. And I think for to explain that, there's another backstory that needs to be shared. And, yeah, you know, if you're open to it, we can talk yeah. about it and because that's also connects how you started girl collective and the mission behind of it all. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely um, think that talking about these sort of things is, is important. And as hard as it is sometimes, like I, you know, as time has gone by, it's become easier for me to talk about. Um, but yeah, so I, when my mental health was struggling, so I was, um, I'm a victim of child sexual abuse and the abuse happened from the time I was about five until I was about 16. Um, my abuser was my stepfather and basically all of the abuse it ended up going to trial when I was 24. Shoot. Yeah. 24. I think he ended up getting arrested. And so after all that, um, I honestly was going back and forth about pressing charges because Again, he was my stepdad for, for 15 years, and it was something that was super difficult because we have the same family. You know, it was, it was thinking about my siblings. It was thinking about um, my aunt, you know, my tias, my tios, like everybody that was involved, and that was the reason why I never said anything because I knew what could come of it, and I knew that, you know, this is something that nobody wants to believe, really. Um, and so... After it went to trial, he did end up getting sentenced to life, which I did not think was going to be the outcome. Um, I knew that, obviously, like, when you're a victim of, of sexual abuse, I think, especially as a child, especially when the abuser is a parent, you try all these things in your head to, like, justify, you know, that it's okay, or maybe it's not that bad, or because it wasn't rape, it was not that bad. Like, what, you know, worse things happen. Like, you would you try all these ways to like, I guess, repair yourself or convince yourself that it wasn't that bad and let's just forget about it and move on. And, um, yeah, I think that that was always my mentality, even through the trial. Like I was still like, oh, yeah, it probably wasn't that bad. Like when I would say things or when they would ask me questions on the stand to see everybody's reaction was, you know, it's different than when you're telling yourself stuff, when you start going to therapy and you see the therapist's reaction or, you know, the jury, like how they're looking at you makes you feel like, oh, okay, maybe this was worse than I thought. Like, mm -hmm. I don't really know. Because you're kind of, especially with child sexual abuse, again, like you're the only person really talking to yourself about how severe you think the situation is and you're a child, you know? Yeah. So um, once he was sentenced, it was really difficult because obviously there was a huge family fallout. Um, which I, you know, I didn't understand as much as at the time. And I understand a lot more now in hindsight of 
how difficult this must have been for his family and who became my family, but ultimately by blood is his family. And, you know, that really sent me into a place of, of struggling with my mental health because we were so close to his family. We spent holidays, everything mostly with his family, uh, my tias and tias and, and my cousins and my grandma and grandpa from outside the family. So it really felt like, oh, I'm, I'm just losing my whole family because my family is his family and we spend so much, you know, they were my family. So I think after that realizing like, oh, I can't talk to my cousins anymore. My tias are not going to reply to my text messages. Like this has become sort of like a more hostile situation than I thought. Um, that's what really sent me into like a depression. And I, mm. I've always struggled with anxiety that that is due to the abuse from a very young age. Um, probably since I was like five or six, I've had pretty terrible anxiety. Um, but the depression thing was new to me. I had never really felt that type of sadness. I had never really felt that type of disconnect um, just with life. And so I literally, while I was working at a marketing agency in LA at the time, a multicultural marketing agency that did like film and music stuff. Mm-hmm. And working at an agency is very overwhelming. You know, when you work yeah. at an agency, that's your whole life. Like you do not have a life. And so going through the trial while working there and having to oh. explain to my bosses, like, this is what's going on. I'm not going to be at work, you know, was a whole other thing. And so when I came back from the trial and he was sentenced, I was just like, I have to get out of here. Like I have to find my happiness. I'm not happy. I'm just like moving through life like a zombie. And so I need to figure out how to, basically I felt like I needed to figure out how to reprogram my brain. Like it, it, I needed to be like, I guess I felt like I needed to be like jolted and so I thought, okay, I can go volunteer somewhere. That's always been super helpful. I was listening to the Deborah Messing, the Dissenters podcast the other day, and she said, if you're ever feeling depressed, help someone. And I was like, yep, that's how, that's exactly how I think too. It's like, as much as you're helping other people, part of like giving back sometimes is like the feeling that you get from that really does give you meaning in life, you know? And so um when I found one of my girlfriends sent me the Simbali Trust because she worked in the Peace Corps and when I looked on the website I saw that they had the um no bad touch program and I was like okay this is exactly where I'm supposed to go this is this is my calling like I need to just go to India I've never been to India never traveled internationally by myself um and so I was originally planning to go for only two weeks Mm -hmm. and then when I called them they were like oh no we don't do that short trip you have to at least stay for 40 days so my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, you know, we've been at this point, we've been living together for five years. I told him, like, I have to go do this. And at first he was like, of course, I don't want you to leave for 40 days. Like, we've never been apart for more than a week. But I also understand that you need to do this for yourself. And if you don't do this for yourself, then, you know, you're going to be unhappy. And mm-hmm. so do it. And so I did. Yeah. You chose yourself. And yes the first step into healing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you sharing the story, like it does come full circle of just, you obviously were restrained by the end of, you know, when you're 27, you know, everything that had happened, that loss of your family, that ultimately, you know, you are now with the people that do care about for you and about you and, want to see you thrive and that believe you and 
just having that strength to knowing I think that takes a lot also a lot of courage of like just just pushing aside the job knowing that it wasn't you know the best thing for you because you were also unhappy but knowing just like taking that leap and for your healing that I just yeah I must imagine that you might have felt you know anxious you know you didn't know what was going to happen and Mm -hmm. but let's talk about and I I felt like I felt like I thought people would think I was crazy, you know, but like I knew everyone that I would tell, like, even when I quit my job, I like walked out of my boss's office and I was like, what did I just do? Why did I do that? I have one paycheck to my name. I didn't mean to say that. Why did I say that? Like, I was like, oh my, you know, and then my coworkers are like, where are you going? I'm like, to India. Like, but they're asking me like, where are you going as in your next job? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to India. And they're like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, this whole thing's been going on, why I haven't been at work, blah, 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 I'm going to India, you know, and then I felt like me talking about it so nonchalantly even made people think even like, okay, like, guess we'll just see where this goes, you know, mm-hmm. um, so now, obviously, that feels like a much different story, because I know, again, that that happened for a reason, and, you know, it's led to here, so. Yeah, and, you know, I, let's talk about now you being an Indian in those 40 days, you know, obviously that that was also part of the healing, also part of you helping girls who ultimately also had the same, maybe not the same experience, but were also survivors. And how was that like helping these young girls and realizing that you had to do more because, you know, that trip was ultimately the birth of Girl Collective. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. When I first met the girls, I was just overtaken with emotion, with, with gratefulness, all of these things. Like I think, um, so I guess first off seeing them and I've talked about this very little, but I think, um, so my sister passed away when I was in high school and seeing these little girls, like, I don't know what it was. I just felt like I can see my sister and all these little girls and I, and like, I feel so connected to them right off the bat and I don't really know why. Um, and so I think that like, that was the universe that was God telling me like, this is a, this is a thing. Like, this isn't just, you're coming. I've gone and volunteered at lots of, you know, I volunteered at the downtown women's center. I've gone to Mexico, like all these different things that for some reason, with these girls, it just felt like an instant connection. And especially with a couple, like, um, there's two little girls, Krishna and Harshita, who I got really, really close with, and I'm close with their mom. Um, she was at the time cook, a cook for the boarding home. And so I felt this instant connection that I couldn't really explain. And I think meeting them and realizing, you know, basically that they had left their families, um, you know, they come from their villages, left their families, to live in a boarding home, barely seeing their parents twice a year just to be able to access education. And so I had gone there initially for the No Bad Touch program. And when I started volunteering in the boarding home, I realized like, oh, this is about something way bigger. Like, it's great that they also get to, you know, learn about child sexual abuse and how to prevent it. And the Sambali Trust goes to different schools around the area. Um, And for those teachings, they actually take volunteers who are psychology majors. So because I'm not a psychology major, I wasn't, I couldn't actually go on those. And when I got there, I was like, oh, okay, 
I'll do the education part then. So then I started realizing like, if these girls are not here for school, they can't be here period. So this is like the foundation of the situation. I have to make sure now that they have enough money to be able to live in this boarding home so that they can go to school so that they can access all of these other things, you know? So I think seeing like, you know, they all, it's 25 girls that essentially live in like three or four rooms and they all sleep on bunk beds and they have no toys at all. Um, that was, you know, for me coming from the U.S., very shocking to walk into a place where I don't see any toys and I see a lot of children. Um, and so initially, like, I started feeling sad about those kinds of things. Like, oh my gosh, you know, she only has one pencil and it's like this little nub and she's still using it. And like, why don't they have more pencils? And, or, oh, why don't they have toys? Or, you know, I was thinking about all the materialistic things because that's what I know and that's what I'm used to seeing kids here with. And then the longer I was there, I started to realize like the rhyme and the reason to all the things and the difference in the culture there. Um, it's just different. And I learned so much from those little girls of, of being such a family, you know, they essentially have like 24 other brothers, you know, 24 other sisters that they live with every day that they get ready for school with every day. And they all, instead of like playing with toys and stuff, they're just playing with each other. They're entertaining each other. They're figuring out ways to engage each other. They share mm -hmm. everything, which like, you know, I don't know about you, but like my little <laughs> or like other little kids here are like, they're very possessive, which mm -hmm. I think is something that is taught to us. Like I'm like that too, you know, there it's like, no, none of those little girls are ever like, that's mine. I've never heard that said once from spending two months there and then going back two other times, I've never heard anyone once say that's mine. And coming from working in a daycare, you know, in my younger years, like all this stuff, I was just so taken aback of like how, you know, caring and how much they shared and how much they really love each other. And it just felt like this like beautiful, amazing thing of like, Oh, you guys are, you guys see each other as a family and even more so, nothing is yours everything is everybody's like mm -hmm. you all share and that's just that's how it is in India period but again like it's such a cultural thing that I was so you know taken aback especially seeing young children be able to like react and act this way towards each other that I like every day would go back to the you know the guest house where I was staying and like every day after leaving the boarding home I would cry almost every single day about something different you know about the fact that they all share one cup, one single cup for the 25 girls, but they're, they're fine. They're happy. They're, mm -hmm. they're laughing. They're the happiest kids you've ever seen. And they have maybe three outfits each, a bed and their school supplies. And like, that's it, you know? And so I think that that really changed my perspective of life in, in general, like of thinking, why are we so obsessed with things? And why are we so obsessed mm -hmm. with material objects and, and how do you better your relationships and learn how to share and care and, and love people deeper, you know? And yes. so I think that that was something that really like helped me to be like, I am done with this shallow stuff right now. Like I really just need to be like, I needed to be in it with very little materialistic things around me by myself, being able to intake all of this like emotional information. It felt like. Yeah, it was definitely I think what I'm hearing now is like they have the necessary love and supportive foundation they need in order to take the tools of knowledge and just 
be a better people to their sisters, to themselves, and for the rest of the world, and just help them grow. And ultimately, yes, I can see why you were so motivated, inspired to just continue helping them, continue being part of their lives through Girl Girl Collective. So, you know, those 40 days end, you come back to the U.S., and you're like, okay, I'm starting this. And you didn't have a job, obviously, but you before yep. going to India, you were creating these bracelets. So one thing led to another. Can you share with us those first steps of coming back and you're saying, I'm going all in. I'm starting this business to help my girls in India. Yeah. Yeah. So before I even left, I actually was starting the website um, and starting to build the website. And my best friend actually helped me because when I was trying to set it up on Shopify, it kept picking up the fact that I was an Indian based business. So I literally like FaceTime my best friend. I was like, can you set up this account with this email? Then I can log in so that I can start editing. Because when I was there already, because I was making um, earrings to like raise money for the trip. And so then I thought, okay, I can sell these earrings because people were still asking me for them when I was in India. I thought, okay, I can sell these earrings and give back a portion of the proceeds. And so when I was in India, I did a photo shoot with the volunteers I was making earrings in my bedroom. I made them put on all the jewelry, took photos of them out in India, um, started uploading those photos to the website. And when I was coming back, it was because I, I had never in my life felt like I needed to be in two places at once at the same time. And I literally cried the entire flight home from India, cried. And that's an almost 24 hour journey. Um, I was just bawling my eyes out. Like I could not, I felt like I, I need to stay here. These, these kids are my kids now. Like I, they are part of me. I am part of them. Like I cannot just leave them now. But then also I have my boyfriend who's now my husband here who I've been with, you know, for at that time for five years. Like what? I can't leave him either. Like, and my mm-hmm. mom and my grandma. So I was just, I felt like, okay, because I can't be in two places at once, I'm doing this and I'm starting this before I even leave so that I still have this feeling in my heart of such urgency that when I get back to the U.S., I'm hitting the ground running. Because another thing that I realized was like the world is at my fingertips here. Mm -hmm. And with, you know, seeing these girls and meeting these girls and meeting so many women in India who have very limited resources, you know, I realized I need to use my privilege. I need to use the privilege that I have that I was literally just born in the U.S. I did nothing else but be born in the U.S. And the fact that a female can start a business here and can just do it online very easily, like why wouldn't I take advantage of that, you know? And so I really felt like it sparked this, you need to use your privilege to do good. And I didn't realize before going to India how much privilege I had. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it really felt like it lit a fire underneath me. And so when I started, I built up the whole website. I ended up doing a launch party um, here in Downey where I live. And um, that was the like true start to Girl Collective, which I believe that was in April 2018. Because October 2017 is when I got back. But then like when the business was like we had done our first photo shoot by April and it looked legit, you know? So (laughs) I still felt like I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't have any idea what I was doing. I was buying like uh, materials to make earrings out of from Michael's. Like I wasn't, you know, going to trade shows and getting all this amazing stuff. I was just using what I knew how to use, which was from Michael's. And 
you know, just making this line of jewelry that at the time, like a lot of my friends were buying. And then when I got the first sale to like a stranger, I was like, oh my God, this person doesn't even know me personally. And they actually bought something like, this is great, you know? Um, so yeah, it took me, I ended up setting up a DBA. So I was doing business as before I became an LLC. So I was a DBA for an entire year before mm-hmm. I registered to become an LLC because I wanted to make sure that I was really serious about this. I knew that I was, but I just wanted to be sure before doing all the LLC stuff because that's the expensive part. And so, yeah. <laughs> okay. So for our listeners who are not aware, I, LLC, yes, that's a common term, but DV... DBA. So doing business as, you can do that under your, your name. So I was doing business as at the time, Christina Costa. Um, and that is just so that you can, I don't know, something about like filing your taxes and stuff like that. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I still don't know much about it, honestly, but then I switched to an LLC, which is basically to prevent people from being able to see you as a person and everything mm-hmm. goes under the business corporation. And thank you for sharing that too, because I think for many people who are starting their business, because, you know, they saw this need and they're figuring out it out just like you. They really don't know those steps, right? Like you, you're yeah. figuring it out along the way, and but you, you, you never stopped. You're like, okay, I, I need to do this. I need to continue on. So after it was October of 2018, I came back. Correct. 17 is when I came back yeah and then April 2018 is when like I officially launched everything yeah (laughs) and then tell us about those um it's been two years so those first yeah these first I I guess the first year of just keep growing keep knowing what you do best and just raising the money to go back because you did two trips um back to India obviously I this year due to COVID no but like it, it must have been like also a fulfilling experience of having strangers, people believing your mission, loving your products and loving, you know, why you were doing this. So you could ultimately yeah. give back to them. Yeah. Yeah. So the first year I'd say was a lot of, I was working. So when I got back from India, I actually ended up working part-time at a yoga studio to be able to pay my bills. Um, which, you know, I know now this about my personality more than ever, but like, I can't just get a job and work a job. That's not part of my, apparently, Christine's, like, build-up. I have to get a job and, like, be the best at that job and then, like, get, you know, get whatever that means when you're the best at that job, which is a promotion or a raise or whatever it is. And so instead of the purpose of that job was to work part-time so they could focus on Girl Collective, I did get very wrapped up in that job because I enjoyed it working at the yoga studio. And then I ended up managing the two LA studios when that was not at all what I had envisioned for myself or planned because I was like, no, the whole point of working here is to focus on Girl Collective. That's why I didn't go back to the music industry, like focus. And then I was like, no, but now that it's full time, I could, I'm getting paid what I was getting paid in the music industry for working at a yoga studio, which is like, woo, amazing. And they're actually letting me go back to India. Mm-hmm. So that was why I stayed, you know, they were totally great and amazing about me going to India for three weeks at a time. I told them that from the get go. Um, and they were like, yeah, like we'd love to, they paid me my normal salary while I was in India. 
the first time I went, like, which was amazing. I'm like, where do you find a job like this? Like, that's awesome, you know? So I thought, like, again, this all happened for a reason. You know, I didn't have as much time to focus on the business as I would have liked because I was managing two studios and 50 employees. Um, But there were little times in that where there were things that happened and people that I met that were, that have led to some of the girl collective stuff. So like I was able, there's, I had a lot of aspiring and, um, you know, comedians and actresses and models. And so I started using them for the girl collective shoots too, you know, and all of them became so supportive of me and girl collective and the studio let me, um, like host a fundraiser class in the space. Um, and so things like that made me think, okay, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be right now with this job, even if it means I can't put eight hours a day into focusing on girl classes. So I know a lot of people when they first start out are so worried of like, well, if it's only going to work, if I focus all my time on it, then like, I can't do that right now because I have bills to pay. Like, I totally get that. I was that person. I understand. Um, and, you know, eventually, basically, that job got to be a little toxic because there was some, some moving around in the upper ranks and stuff. And so eventually it got to the point of, like, I have to leave because now this is just not great for myself. And my mm-hmm. the whole reason I was there was to focus on Girl Collective, and now I completely put it to the wayside, you know. And so um, I, with my husband's help, because he ended up getting a really great job, too, was, like, you know, he empowered me to just leave, which I did not think I was going to be able to do. And honestly, was probably the biggest step towards making Girl Collective a successful company. And I am forever grateful to him. And I remind him of that all the time. Like, you allowed me to take this really giant leap of faith. And all of this goodness came from it. And I never expected that, you know, when he told me I could leave, it wasn't to focus on Girl Collective. He thought I was going to find another job. I thought I was going to find another job. You know, that was in December of 2018. And I was like, I mean, 2019 at this point. And I told him like, yeah, I'm going to find another job. I'm just going to do something part-time so that I can focus on Girl Collective, my same plan. But then COVID hit. And Mm -hmm. so I, all of the interviews disappeared. And I was like, oh my God, now God, the universe is forcing me now, truly forcing me to fully focus on Girl Collective because I literally can't work anywhere else. And I also can't collect unemployment because I left my last job. So like, oh crap, Christine, you need to focus and you need to figure this out because you own a business. You own an LLC, figure this out. Mm -hmm. And so that was really when the business started changed was the beginning of this year. Um, I was able to pivot during the, during the coronavirus you know, in the beginning of the year, I was so excited because I had gotten locked in for all of these pop-ups, which, you know, pop-ups bring in, excuse me, a lot of revenue. And these pop-ups that I had dreamed of being in previous years, like Renegade Craft Fair and different big ones that only accept like really, you know, legit to me, like legit businesses. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm a legit business now. Like I get to do these really cool things. And so, um, I had invested so much money in prepping for those that when COVID hit, I did freak out because I was like, that was literally all of my money. I have no money left to invest in the business, which means I can't sell anything, which means I can't make any money, which means the business is going to go away, basically. Um, and then I took a leap of faith on my own um, because I had spent the past couple of years really building up my credit score and getting better about handling money. And so I had now a credit card that had a pretty good limit on it. And 
as much as I don't think that it's a great idea most times Mm -hmm. for you to just charge things on credit cards, this time it actually did benefit and work out because I came out with care packages at that time for girls and women to be able to send to each other during COVID because I felt it was a time where small businesses could really step in because Amazon, the turnaround time for Amazon was so long and, you know, Instacart and all these things, you couldn't really send things to people, especially gifts. And so that was my way of pivoting and saying like, this is how I can provide the service of keeping girls and women connected even though it feels so disconnected right Mm -hmm. now and we can't be around our friends and our family. And so all of that inventory, I literally charged on my credit card to be able to even sell those things. So, (laughs) But that ultimately, that was the best decision. You pivoted. You didn't, you know, you know, get stressed out. You, you found a solution that responded to the times that we were living in to connect with your customers and to continue that mission of being collective to help one another, even in these dark times. So that obviously looking back, yes, like you made the right decision and, but you, to make that right decision, you had made steps to, to be able to do that without fear and without yeah. stress in the future of like, Oh, what if like, you know, it ultimately responded well. And you know, I feel earlier, you, you know, I, I think this is your year and I think obviously you're going to grow even more because you, you are on that path. But I feel like every decision that you took beforehand really led up to this, you know, and life had faith. God, you know, was telling you like, this is your year to focus and give it your all because before you had done the AOC signs and it wasn't yeah. until like this year that really took off. And then in the beginning of the year, you had also the iconic um, two hands of a Latina and a Black woman holding hands. And then unfortunately, you know, the murder of George Floyd happened. But that image was a connection between the Latinx and the African-American communities to support, you know, in their movement. And I feel like all the decisions you took beforehand ultimately led to this and this growth that you're currently Mm. living in and deeper connection and just deeper work of the mission that you have. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do do you look back and you're like, Oh, okay. Like, do you feel proud of me? I I, want to say like, you must feel feel proud of yourself. Like, Oh my God. Okay. I did good. (laughs) But let's keep going. Like, yeah, I think it's interesting because, I think that obviously there are certain things that, yeah, like the AOC design, the Lucha design. Um, I did come out with the AOC design last October, I believe. Um, Yeah, it was around the time I came back from India last year. And um, I I made the sweatshirt, literally, this is what happened. I posted on Instagram and I Mm -hmm. said, can somebody make an AOC sweatshirt or t-shirt because I want it, I want one. I was not making clothing at the time, I was just Mm -hmm. doing jewelry. And one of my friends was like, you should just make it, my friend Jamie. Then I was like, I'm not making clothing. That's too much. Sizes, all this stuff. Like, I'm sticking to jewelry. It's one size fits all. Like, I'm not, I don't want to go to clothing around. 
And then after a while, people started messaging me, you should make it. You should make it. I was like, oh, my God. Okay, maybe I'll make one sweatshirt. And it's mostly because I want it. Yeah. And if other people like it, great, you know. And when I put the AOC sweatshirt on sale the first time, and I did an I'm with them carrying a school design with the four congresswomen as well, the congresswoman sweatshirt sold way better than the AOC one did. And I literally sold two AOC sweatshirts the day that I put it on sale, too. And I was like, damn, okay, maybe people didn't like her as much as I thought they did. Like, she's yeah. amazing, but maybe not. And so I think that I, I was discouraged in the beginning because I was like, oh, I really, you know, I paid this design. This is the first time I had paid a designer to, you know, draw this for me with this concept. And it was just like, I felt a little discouraged. But now it's one of my bestsellers. And it just took a year for everybody to, like, catch up and get on the AOC train. Yeah. To be like, we also love her and she is a queen, you know? And I think with the Lucha image, it was it was sort of similar where I had come out with it earlier in the year. So um, when was it? I We came out with it in April, but I con- started concepting in February. And for me, you know, Girl Collective has always been a place for not only Latinas, but all women of color to exist in all the ways that we exist and to show all the beautiful ways that we can show up for each other. And it's always been about intersectionality and being an intersectional feminist, not just a feminist. And so to me, I felt like, you know, the Latinas and the Black communities, we intersect, we intersect, we are part of each other. And I think that, you know, people don't talk about that enough, one, and two, like, it's, we have a responsibility, you know, I feel like I have a responsibility. I think everyone should feel like that, um, to demolish white supremacy. You know, I've always talked about how this isn't just about having empathy. It's about realizing what the core of the problem is. And so to me, you know, when we created that image, I really wanted to show, it was inspired by an image where, Hey, black woman and a brown woman were holding signs, one that said no human is legal and the other one said black lives matter. And they were holding the signs for each other. And so I thought like, man, how powerful is that? Because that's so true. The only way that we succeed is by uplifting and, and helping each other's causes. Like if we're all just in our own little pods over here fighting for our own situations, nobody's ever going to move forward, you know? And so, um, I had sent, I took a photo of my husband in his hands and I sent them to the designer and I was like, Hey, this is the message that I want on it. Like, can you draw it up? Because I cannot draw. And so, yeah, the original image was mine and my husband's hands. And then I was like, can you make it two women? You know, all that stuff. And so then a month after um, I posted the Lucia image and had stuff on sale, I think at the time we had like 4,000 followers on the girlfriend of Instagram and you know, they all bought the Lucha stuff and it was great. And that's where I thought, you know, and like all our previous designs, that's how far it was going to go. And like, that was it. Um, and then obviously like the uprising of the current, you know, civil rights movement has really just been something that's so terrible and so powerful at the same time, you know, and I think that this image resonated with a lot of the Latino community, which was obviously beautiful. I have no idea how initially it got, it started to go viral. I still don't know where like the starting point of all of it was. Um, but somehow somebody found the image and it had been posted like a month before they were sharing it. And I text my friend, Jen, who she owns Gentiano Designs. And I was like, 
hey, like, I don't know what's going on with this or why there's all this traffic on my website, but something's going on. And she's like, look on your shares. Like, you can look on your shares from your analytics on Instagram and see what's going on. So I could see at that point that over, I think in the beginning, over 300 people had shared it within like that, you know, hour or whatever. And then the celebrities started sharing it, which AOC, my queen of life, shared it. And then I was like, oh shit, like this is really, this is really getting to another level. Mm -hmm. And obviously looking at the website, I literally just kept telling my husband like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my, like I just didn't even know what to do. I had never seen like some people say, you know, businesses are not built overnight or like, you know, this isn't going to happen in a day. Mm -hmm. And it didn't, you know, there had been this time leading up yeah. to what became, but did it go from like five to like 110 overnight? Yes. You know, <laughs> that is what happened because so many eyes were on us and granted, like that also is, is a lot to take in, you know, <laughs> it must've been like, I'm obviously happy that you were getting this response because it was months of work before that overnight success. But it must have also felt overwhelmed and think, what next? You know, like, how do I keep up with this momentum? How do I continue doing the mission without, you know, going astray in the path that you're on? Yeah, I think I did feel like that a lot. What next? What do I do with this amount of attention? what is the best way to go about this? And so I felt like, you know, as I mentioned, I do struggle with anxiety. And so when all that was happening, my anxiety was through the roof on another level. I didn't eat that. I didn't eat for like three days. I think I wasn't eating dinner every day for about three weeks. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to, I, my anxiety was so bad. I just couldn't get past it. And a lot of that came from feeling like, I've been doing this and, and this is what my business is, but now all of a sudden all these people have their eyes on it. And so it feels like this, this level of pressure that I didn't feel before, especially because people didn't really know what girl collective was. So it's like, you know, you get the trolls of like, why are you giving back to India and why are you not giving back to this cause or, you know, just different things of, Oh, you're not giving back enough money. Like thinking that I'm this huge business and I'm not. And so it felt at the time right to, donate a portion of the Lucha adult tea because we're only selling adult teas at the time, not kids to donate a portion of the proceeds to Black Lives Matter because I felt like I want to give back to the community. And this is for me the best way to do that. And so I chose Black Lives Matter because they make sure that people, you know, on the state level are being voted into positions to be able to empower the black community and then in turn also empower the Brown communities, you know? And so I think a lot of people, there's always backlash on that. Like, don't give to Black Lives Matter, give to this cause, but, you know, or think that I don't know or do my research into the organizations that we're giving to. But before I give to anyone, I do look deeply into it of like, what is my cause here? And so giving to Black Lives Matter and then also like not feeling the pressure of what everybody else wanted me to be or thought that I was or anything like that, because I think initially I was getting a lot of outreach about coming and speaking at marches and like doing all this stuff. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I am all about speaking up on my platform about who I am and what this brand represents. But there are so many other activists out there, especially black activists mm -hmm. who can come and lead these protests. I am not the person. I know that you want me to be the person, but I am not the person. I do all these other things, but that's just, 
there's people who do that for a living and people who are really good at it that deserve this platform and it's not me. And so I think that it was figuring out like, and it was a lot, my husband telling me like, you do not have to be any of this. You don't have to even go on your phone. Like it, don't pay attention to all you've been doing this shit, you know, like mm-hmm. stay there. And so that was, that was something that I eventually was able to get to with like the help of my friends and my family and my husband of getting back to a place of mental clarity because it did feel very, you know, it felt like a pressure cooker. It felt like, you know, all of these new, I, you know, all this new input from people that hadn't been on the girl collective journey with me for the past three years, you know, and, um, and so I think being able and, and also thinking about how the heck am I going to fulfill all of these orders? I've never had this many orders in the existence of Girl Collective. So, oh, now I need to hire help. Now I need to figure out where I can pack these orders because we're now in COVID. So like, how am I going to get people to help me if I can't even be around other people? So that was the main stressors I would say too, is like we were in an unprecedented time. Um, you know, I was, I was protesting at the time too. And so I was trying to find time, like, how am I best suiting everybody's needs? You know, how am I best suiting my community? Um, you know, the Brown community, the black community, like how am I best suiting everybody? Is it by protesting today and packing tomorrow? Is it by packing three days this week and then protesting the other two, you know, like how, how is my time being best spent to be able to give back to this cause and, figure out how to continue educating people and having these open conversations, um, et cetera, because I felt like, again, you know, there were things that led to this moment of me feeling comfortable sharing this information and talking about all of the things that were happening on the Girl Collective platform. And I think that I've always been very open in having these conversations involving, you know, race and religion and gender, mm-hmm. um, and some of that comes from working at the multicultural marketing agency, um, which I was there for such a short time. But in my short time there, that is a lot of what we discussed. You know, our staff there was predominantly Black and Asian, and I was one of two Latinos. And we were constantly having conversations about this kind of stuff because we had to um, in order to be able to do our job. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much there. And I think that that, you know, again, like every, every one of those jobs had their own function in my life. And I think that that job specifically um, was really helpful in that way. Yeah. And I like, yes, knowing you telling me the story of the, the beginning of Girl Collective and why it started, it really pains me that haters don't even have the time to read and to know about your story or why you're doing this, why it's an intersectional company and business and why it's so important to not only focus on our own causes because we're all connected. And if one is thriving, one is having human rights, then we all have the same rights. So I understand like that frustration, that anger, and just like disappointment in other people that don't, Mm -hmm. they have the time to, call you like call you out or like put you down but they don't have the time to know and learn and exactly it's so important that you had that support system that was just there for you and you you were talking about how you know you were separating your time to go and protest to package during covid like that must have been like a really stressful switch because you started with jewelry then decided to go with clothing trying to figure out 
how to buy shirts, how to buy this. Like that must have been a whole other journey. And then COVID happens and you have to pivot again, switch, find ways to do that. But then you also had to focus on your mental health. Like, because if you're Mm -hmm. not taking care of yourself, no one's going to take care of Girl Collective and ultimately, you know, the mission and helping these girls in India. So it's just, it's a very delicate situation, but yeah, you know, I'm happy that you're, you're, you're still going there. You're, you're still, you know, working on it and that you are taking care of yourself during this time. Yeah. Yeah. I think with the, with that time with protesting and packing and again, never having so many orders as, as I've had in my life, um, it was a lot of a mental health situation because I, at, my grandma is almost 80 years old and I do spend a lot of time with her. And so at that time I wasn't going to the protest initially because I didn't want to put her in danger and because I am one of the only people that see her. Um, and then I realized like, I feel so disconnected. I am, I am a protester. Like I've gone to every major protest in LA, um, you know, the Muslim ban at LAX, the women's March, um, the anti-Trump rallies. I am all about going out there and feeling the energy. Again, this comes from being an empath, but I, I enjoy feeling the energy of others and caring about something that I also care about passionately. And so I felt like, okay, it really is like, it actually felt like it was damaging my mental health to not be able to go out there and protest because I felt so guilty. Like, I felt like, no, I do this. I go out there and protest, but COVID just threw such a wrench in everything that eventually I was like, you know what? I told my husband, I'm going to go protest and I'm going to do it safely. And I promise that I will be safe about it, but I have to be out there. There is no way that I am going to tell my future children that I had to stay home because of COVID. And obviously I understand there's some people who, you know, have immune deficiency and all that stuff. And yes, please stay home. Like I totally understand that, but I felt like, okay, I'm in charge of my own body and I can do what I need to do to stay safe and to protect others to keep my distance. I, and I did the first protest I went to, I did not come close to people. I was wearing a mask the whole time, made sure, you know, everybody's outside, et cetera. And so I was trying to take all those precautions and also feel like I am doing my duty and coming to these protests and standing up for what I believe to be right, because there, this is a, a major, major problem. Yes. Yes. And I'm happy that you ignored those haters, you know, that, you know, you did what you had to do, which is donate um, the proceedings to Black Lives Matter and just ignore all the hate that were just coming in because they discovered you through that image and were just bitter about you not, you know, giving to Mexico or just giving to Indians. Mm -hmm. It's like silly. And, you know, instead of helping you grow even more and be happy that you're growing and and being more, you know, known among people, they're putting you down. Like, it's just, yeah, I think it was frustrating. And I, and I, again, like I understand initially because in the beginning I was only giving to India and I had the story. And so people understood more. And then, you know, when I started giving to other causes, you know, Black Lives Matter, Color for Change, then people started thinking, okay, like, where's the, the I guess, like, Latino-centered, um, like, organization, you know? And I kind of was like, okay, 
it's always been my goal and with Girl Collective to eventually give back to all communities of color. And so I always knew I'm going to start in India and then I want to go to Mexico and then I want to go to Africa. And so figuring out where, what town and what area of each of these countries is something that I've always kept in the back of my mind, like where is the need greatest and things like that. And so I thought, okay, this is actually a way that I am giving back to different communities here in the U.S. So, like, I do want to extend to, especially because the Lucha image was, um, you know, was motivated by the No Human is Illegal and Black Lives Matter signs. I thought, okay, who is helping, what organization is really helping at the border when it comes to immigration and the children being in cages and all this stuff, and what can I do to help that? And so when we released the kids Lucha image, that's when I thought, okay, excuse me, I could put this out to give back to Raisa's in Texas, which is helping with that. And it's exactly what the image was created for, to uplift the black and brown communities. And we are uplifting the black communities with the adult version of the tea and the um, brown and immigrant communities with the child version of the tea. So then it really felt like full mm-hmm. circle, like, okay, this is, this is all feels great. And I'm proud of these causes and, and happy to give back to all of them, you know? And I think that when it comes to the haters, it's like, I think, you know, my husband said something when all that stuff happened. He was like, if you're not doing something worthwhile, you know, nobody cares. But like, you know, basically mm-hmm. if people are hating on you, it's because you're making a difference. And at that time, I like thought, I thought about all the people that I look up to and, you know, like AOC um, and all of the hate that they, and RBG and other people, like all of the hate that they face, even Gandhi, you know, Martin Luther King, like all these people who who created change and cared about people so deeply, like they had so many haters. AOC has so many haters. And I think like, if you're not doing anything worthwhile, yeah, people don't care. But if you are, that's when they're going to come out. And regardless of what they think, you need to move forward because you, if you are upsetting people too, like you are truly doing something worthwhile, you know? So um, I think that having that mentality of like, you're not a change maker if you're not ruffling some feathers, you know? Yeah. And ultimately at the end, you know, your decisions were genuine, right? It wasn't a pressure because like, like the companies that we saw that promise back in June, like, oh, we're going to hire more black talent. And where is that black talent? You know, it's just, I prefer something that is genuine, that really connects and why and you taking the time to research and or the organizations like what who really gives back it's just yeah. uh, yes it's like i i don't want like we can focus on this but like i feel like this this is a whole nother conversation as well but <laughs> for the haters who think you know you or anyone else not giving back to the latinx community well instead of criticizing they should start with them just like how people were mm-hmm, saying well you mm-hmm. should start the aoc shirt or the sweatshirt well they should start yeah. donating they should do something for their community they should stay take that first step and be the yep. change maker and not the yeah. leader yep, yeah exactly and it's so funny because you'll see people like as much as the community grows like there are people who come to our defense and are like hello they've been doing this or like watch the other videos especially i think most of the trolls and stuff come out on tiktok because, you know, TikTok has been such an amazing thing for the business and has helped us access, you know, so many more, you know, customers and 
and community and that's been so awesome um but the same way that it could be so awesome it can also be so toxic Mm -hmm. and I think that that's because you know essentially strangers are seeing your content that's you know on the for you page that's what your initial feed is and that can be a great thing because it can expose your business to so many people but if they can find one little thing inside of there that they do not like about you they do not like about your business then it only takes one person to give you that attention and then other people, you know, other trolls start building onto that. But then you see like the counter arguments and I'm like, it's just so funny to me because sometimes I'll go to the co- those comments and I'm like, oh my God, like people are like, they're fully arguing with each other. And then I'm like, oh my God, I don't like, this is so crazy, you know, because I don't know any of them. Like I'm no. like, I don't know one single person that's arguing at all. And so I think like, it's just sometimes people have time. People have time to be petty. People have time to put more attention and energy into your business than whatever else they're doing that day. And again, like that's okay to a certain extent. Like it's flattering that some people put that much time and energy into like you or your business when you're not, you know, like even thinking about that. But I do think like the, um, online communities like it just when you're first starting out or if you get trolls like I definitely think when I got my first one mm-hmm. I was like oh god you know super anxious about about what I was going to do and how I was going to react and all this stuff and then now I feel like it's really helped me build thick skin to be like oh god you know yeah. it's fine just block block delete block delete who cares you know so I think that for any business owners out there who feel like they're scared or worried to say how they feel or put out things that they're super passionate about. Like it's, it could make or break you sometimes, you know, and also like be yourself. And I feel like that's like how you were saying with the images of the AOC or the Lucia designs. Like I really just felt like those were so true to how I really feel. And of course it's scary to put out stuff that you're like, I put so much time and energy and passion into this thing. And, and maybe everyone's going to hate it or maybe they're going to start thinking, you know, something crazy of it or whatever. But then when it takes off and you see other people like resonate so much with it, it's like, oh, thank goodness I put this out because it's touching so many other people, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah. And I feel like the positive thing about haters is that ultimately it gives you more views. It gives you more attraction and more people that actually can connect to the mission and feel reflected and represented in your products. Find you. I'm like, okay, keep hating, keep wasting your time. (laughs) So more people that really love you and grow collective can continue to support you. Yeah. Yeah. And no, in the beginning of the year, you had one, the 20,000 um, for yeah. Aerie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until like last month that you announced and shared it with your customers with um, on TikTok and on Instagram. You know, can you share? I, th- I think that's an important thing for any business owners or people that are starting their business. And like, where can they find this financial support? Because many organizations and companies are giving this financial support, especially now mm-hmm. due to COVID, but where do they start? How do they prepare themselves? How do they stand out against everyone else? Because like you said um, earlier before this conversation, you are two of the, one of the uh, two Latinas um, that won this um, award. So it's like, 
how do you stand out? Like, even knowing who, like, you know, your essence, you know what you're bringing to the table, but at the end, it's just like, there's so much talent. Mm -hmm. How do you do Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. So with the Aerie um, grant, I actually came across it on Instagram. Um, Bernie Feldstein, who's from Booksmart, the movie, she had posted about it. I love her too. And I was like, oh, interesting. A change is the whole thing was um, change makers, area change makers. And I was like, huh. So I clicked on it and it's a $20,000 for to 20 people um, who are creating change. And so I clicked on the link and I've applied for a few different grants. And when I clicked on this one, I was like, oh, this is cool because it's not asking me for a bunch of financial information about the business, like, a, you know, small business loans are essentially like asking you for every nook and cranny of your entire life. Um, this was different. This was more based on your community and what you were doing to create change, which I was like, oh, that's the heart of Girl Collective. Like, that's what it's always been. And so um, I, when I applied, they asked us to um, put a one-minute video. Could not be longer. I think, oh, sorry, it's two minutes. Two-minute video could not be longer than that. And you just had to, you know, basically explain what you would do with the money, what you've been doing, et cetera. And so um, I felt like maybe what helped me stand out was, was not only that I was giving, but I also go back and volunteer every year. Um, I think it was interesting, obviously, that I'm Mexican-American and I'm giving back to Indian girls in India. Um, I think that focusing on girls' education is, is such a big thing and people are becoming more aware of, of how life-changing that can be, not only for the individual girls, but for families and for communities. And so I think that that was a really good thing. Um, and so, yeah, initially we submitted and then they narrowed it down and they interviewed us, which I was so so nervous about um, because I really felt like it was a 15-minute video conference call with the ARI team, and I felt like, oh, my God, this 15 minutes could mean $20,000. Like, mm-hmm. I have 15 minutes to prove to them that I am worth $20,000. Like, how do you even fathom that, you know? And so that felt like a lot of pressure, and I think for me, I just prepared, prepared, prepared. I wrote down, um, you know, all the questions I thought they were going to ask me and had like full answers written out, bolded things. And because I knew it was going to be on Zoom, I had the document up on one side and I had the Zoom on the other side. So just in case they asked me something and I went blank, I was like, oh, I can see, I can totally see it while still looking like I'm looking at them. I can see it on my screen, you know, (laughs) so that, and I went super into detail so like when they asked me what are you going to spend the money on I was like how detailed do you want me to go because I have this broken down by the hundreds so like if you want me to go that deep I will if not I can stay in the thousands and they were like you know I think they found that a little endearing but they were like yeah go ahead and tell us you know so I gave them the full breakdown which then I think because they knew how how serious and how detailed I was about it I wasn't giving them this broad stroke of like oh I'm going to spend it on girls education and like these are I don't know, maybe I'll get some ideas. Like I was very thorough about it. And I think maybe that was helpful. Um, And so, yeah, being, you know, I think winning the money was, was like, I would say one of the craziest moments ever because I've never won money, let alone money like that. And so I really felt like at that time, and I've always felt like this when it comes to the business growing, when it comes to winning things like this or getting, you know, the recognition on interviews or TV or things like that, like I always will and always 
to remember the girls, you know? And so the video that I posted on TikTok of winning the grant, like the first thing I did was like, look at the girls. Like, this is like, this is, this is for you, you know, like I'm doing this for you. And soon, like now it's like, actually lots of people know about them. You know, lots of people know about the girls in India and only more and more will continue to learn about them, which is just so beautiful to me that I will be able to share their journeys with so many people who, who have, who really do care about them and, and don't even know them, you know? So I think that, you know, keeping an eye out on social media, like that is the number one place that I always see things about grants, especially like female centric grants, Latino centric grants. Um, There's been a lot of programs put in place for uh, like black female business owners, Latinx female business owners. Um, So I always just, make sure you're following the platforms that put out these kinds of things. Like we all grow is a big one that always is posting about grants. Um, they do a lot of partnerships with bigger brands like El Puerto Loco and different things like that. Um, and also like just women centric brands, like Aerie is a very women centric brand. Um, and so they're able to partner with bigger brands and bigger companies. Like, you know, I've seen Dove do a few uh, grants and scholarships and things like that. I Fund Women is another good platform to follow. Um, and basically just, I think part of standing out is just being yourself. And if that, if you resonate with them, then it's the best place for you to get that money. Um, and so, yeah, that's been, I'm actually like, basically what they do with the change makers is you, you sign like a year contract with Harry. Um, in which there's different opportunities that you can become a part of. So this grant is, is more than just the money, which obviously is amazing and has helped the business tremendously. Um, it is doing a partnership with a brand like Aerie and being able to be in front of so many more eyes um, to see what you're doing. And, and they host panels for us that, you know, we, we are participating in, um, as well as, like, IG takeovers and things like that. And so I think that they really put the change makers in a place mm-hmm. to, to create more change and to continue what we're doing by empowering us through their platform. Yes. Oh, I just love this. It's just like, <laughs> not only do you empower young girls, but you're, you're also being empowered and you're benefiting from this, but they're also benefiting from this. And it's just, it's just a wonderful circle of like growth. And I'm so happy yeah. for you. I'm so proud of you. It's just your work, everything that you went through, it's just like, you're, you're doing what you love, you know, and you're giving back and that is a life worth living and you're definitely making a change. You're definitely empowering me. You're definitely empowering younger girls. It's just, it's amazing. And I'm really happy for you. Congratulations. That's, that's a big, big step and a big honor. Thank you very much. (laughs) And, you know, now that we've had this wonderful conversation and, you know, I, I like to finish off with asking this, knowing what you knew now, you know, going through what you went through, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time to your younger self at whatever age, you know, what would you tell your younger self? <sighs> That's a hard one. <laughs> what would I tell my younger self? Um, I think that it's all going to be okay. One day you're going to be really happy and one day you're going to be safe 
and you are going to get yourself out of this situation. Um, I think when I was younger, I never believed that I could be in the situation I am now. I never believed I could be an entrepreneur. I didn't even know if I was going to have a good paying job. You know, I didn't know if I could be married to an amazing partner who empowers and uplifts me and, and be happy in marriage. Like I, I had no idea. And so I think, yeah, you're going to be safe. Everything is going to be okay. And just keep going. (laughs) Perfect. And thank you, you know, for your time. And seriously, this was an amazing conversation. I loved this. And for our listeners, where can they follow you? I know you're active everywhere. I love watching your TikToks. (laughs) You know, you're just so genuine. You keep sharing, you just like really connect Uh with, with us. And, you know, can you share where they can find you, your website, anywhere else? Yes. Um, you can find me at GRL Collective, Girl Collective on Instagram, um, Girl Collective on TikTok. It's girl underscore collective on TikTok. Um, you can also find us on our website, www.girlcollective.com. Um, and yeah, my personal Instagram is heychristine16. So H-E-Y, Christine is a K, and the number 16. Perfect. Thank you, Christine. And Christine has been so gracious in giving us a discount code of 10% off off any of her products with the promo code AGAS10, all undercase. That is E-L-L-A-S-1-0. Go to www.girlcollective.com and enter AS 10 in checkout. This promo code will last till November 3rd. Thank you for watching and listening to this empowering conversation. I know I enjoyed it and I hope you enjoyed this as well. And that you yourself be more empathetic, be more open to not only helping our Latinx community, but also helping others. You know, if we don't help our people from other communities, then we're not growing. We're not going to have the same rights. And it's just important because we're all connected and if no one has human rights, you don't have human rights. And I hope this inspired you to do that and as well to just continue growing and starting your business. You know, you can figure it out along the way. And you can follow AGAS on Instagram at E-L-L-A-S, the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn as AGAS podcast. And we're also on TikTok. So you can follow us there at AGAS, the podcast. You can follow me as well at brand underscore J-A-I. That's B-R-E-N underscore J-A-I. Thank you again. Thank you, Christine. You can listen and watch a new episode Thank in you. two weeks. Adios. If you've been listening to AS for a while, you know that I'm a big supporter of providing a platform for Latinas to share their stories and inspire current and future generations of women. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the lives of more amazing Latinas just like you. You can help by going to Apple Podcast and write a review. Tell me what you think and leave any number of stars. It would mean the world to me. Thank you in advance. Ellas is produced, hosted, and audio edited by me, Brenda Hernandez Jaimez. Our video conversations are edited by Javier Ortiz Ruiz. Our logo and podcast cover art was designed by Jennifer Cepeda. And thank you to Shro, who created the podcast theme song, Sunken Streets. You can download this track on freemusicarchive.org or listen to him on Spotify, YouTube, and follow him on Instagram. 
This is Ellas. 